Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I'm your host, Tim McKernan, alongside Gangster Pete and Iggy and videographer Nick Yale. This is, I think, an edition that a lot of people who normally don't listen to the podcast will be listening to. So to those of you who are new listeners, welcome. And uh, I would advise subscribing to the podcast because I think what we do here every week would appeal to you. And that is a new interview every Sunday night. Usually with a uh, St. Louis area figure, not necessarily only sports. We've had a lot of entertainers, a lot of media personalities, politicians, and certainly people from the world of sports on the program over uh, the first year of the show. And then on Wednesdays, questions from the audience. The most recent one, a deep dive on the 2018 Cardinals in the upcoming offseason. And, uh, and then our pick six gambling picks. Uh, in which we pick uh, six different NFL slash college football games. And all of us are kind of hovering around 500, uh, me, producer Joe, and G-Unit. So have that for you as well as we broadcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. This week, our guest, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, is the reason you are most likely here if you have never listened before, and that is because we are going to be joined by Cardinals chairman Bill DeWitt. Uh, this is an interview to give you some background on how it all came to pass that uh, Iggy, one of the producers on the program, had been pursuing for a few months. And the plan then was to have Mr. DeWitt, who then told me to call him Bill, so I will now go with Bill, uh, have him come in and kind of do a background on, you know, growing up and his time as Cardinal owner and, and more of a feature interview as I would describe it. Well, as it wound up playing out, he became available two days after the regular season. And so then the approach on the interview changed because now we're talking about uh, a newsworthy interview. And so the hour that we spent together here in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios was, I would say, probably 80% news uh, style line of questioning as opposed to feature, although certainly there were some feature elements to it. So the reason I, I give the context on it is I want people to be, you know, I want to be transparent with the audience as to, to what was going on in the thought process. And then also for those of you who haven't listened to the show to explain how I go about doing an interview and the way I go about doing an interview is more of a conversation. Um, I also know that some people listen to interviews, especially 
with athletes or owners um, or coaches, managers, whatever the case might be, and if they're frustrated with them, and I know some Cardinal fans are frustrated with the Cardinals, and some Cardinal fans are frustrated with what they think or feel is a lack of spending on the part of the Cardinals, that they want to hear that person um, hashtag held accountable. And I understand that. Um, I also know, as I have worked in television and radio in St. Louis for close to 20 years, that there is a perception that I actually do think is accurate in in a couple of senses, which I'll explain in a moment, that I'll I'll use the term that I read. The media in this town is soft. Uh, It's not the term I would use. But what I would say is this. I would say, with the exception of a handful of people, and I'm talking about, like, a handful. I I don't even know if I could, I would need to use more than one hand uh, to count off on fingers how many people it would be. In some capacity, most of the people you know who are are receiving salaries to do their jobs um, are tied either directly or indirectly to an organization in 2018. Or they are in a spot where it's a high-risk game to upset one of the two professional sports franchises in the market. And so I think that plays into coverage that can sometimes, like like read on Twitter after like the Blues score a goal or the Cardinals win a game. Most of the time, the people who are the, the media representatives are, are cheering. And I'm not saying that's like unheard of in other markets. It's just like it's almost across the board. And that's, God bless, I don't care. I that just that doesn't bother me, but I, I am aware it, it, it does upset some fans. Uh, that's why when Joe Strauss passed away, I said we've lost one of the last, if not the last, credible dissenter in the market. He would dissent, but it wasn't done as an act. Uh, it was it was backed up almost like an attorney presenting a case that the that the jury didn't really want to hear, but they knew had some validity, and that was lost. I'd like to think that I am not in any of the camps. I know that I, I know that I don't quote unquote need the Cardinals to come on the radio show or the podcast for our business to exist, uh, for the show to exist. It's not like there's Cardinal representatives on the Cardinals, uh, you know, roster or front office that comes on TMA. Um, and if they didn't want to come on the podcast, we would be fine. So it's, it's so I'm going to give my honest opinion. That's my point. Uh, I am a Cardinal fan, but I also know that I have a responsibility, both in hosting this show and the radio show, at least I think it's a responsibility, to be honest. And sometimes honesty isn't necessarily going to give the opinion that you, as a listener, may share. But that doesn't mean that you're wrong and I'm right or vice versa. So when it comes to Bill DeWitt, my thought process is this, so I can give this out in advance so we know where everybody is on everything. I disagree with the premise that the Cardinals are cheap. Now, you're hearing this, and some of you might not be normal TMA listeners, uh, and this might be the first time you've ever even heard my voice, uh, and you're not a Tim McKernan show listener, and so you might be like, wow, I can't believe you're saying that, and then I'd like to explain my reasoning. My reasoning is, first off, and the one that, unless it was some kind of Machiavellian bluff, uh, 
that the organization was in on trying to bring John Carlos Stanton and actually had a deal, as you'll hear Bill DeWitt describe, with the Marlins to bring John Carlos Stanton to St. Louis last year, and Stanton didn't want to come here. Stanton's contract is viewed in baseball as one of the most irresponsible contracts, and it's certainly at this moment, before Harper and Machado's deals come in, and we talk about Harper and Machado in this upcoming interview, uh, the most expensive contract, and therefore, if an organization, and whether that be the Padres or the Cardinals or the Yankees or the Red Sox, uh, were in on John Carlos Stanton, I don't know how a fan of the organization could then also say that they aren't willing to spend money or they are cheap. I can, however, understand criticism of the talent evaluation of the organization, in particular in recent years. There are, and we rattled them off in this week's questions from the audience. I'm putting myself on the spot to do it again, which is a high-risk play, but I'm going to attempt to do it. Gangster Pete, you might have to be in standby here if I uh, if I slip up. But there, we rattled off 10 personnel decision moves over the last, I think I limited it to three years, uh, that you go, uh, when you start rattling them off. Now, the one that I was on board with, and I would imagine a lot of you were on board with when it went down, was Greg Holland. So if you were on board with it in late March, it's kind of like, eh, you know, if you were on board with it then, we, we don't, the, the, they, they don't have the benefit of making moves with the cards turned up. And so we have to give our judgment in the moment. In the moment, I loved that move. I loved that move, and I was stunned by how bad he was. I'm also confused, and I think it's noteworthy, how well he pitched in Washington. What does that say? So the Holland one would certainly be one. Uh, Dominic Leone, Luke Gregerson... Uh, as being the Cardinal bullpen solutions for 2018 was an odd line. They hit on Bud Norris, which I think probably was a somewhat of a surprise, and they nailed it on Miles Michaelis. But uh, if we're talking about uh, recent moves that you go, uh, so let's go with Leon, let's go with Gregerson, let's go with Holland, Let's go with Luke Voigt just being traded for essentially no one and then becoming a folk hero in the Bronx. Uh, I think it would be fair to include Stephen Piscotty. I think it would be quite fair to include Tommy Pham, especially considering Piscotty, Pham, and Gritchick. If we include Gritchick, were viewed as the core of the outfield, and now they are all gone, and Pham went on to kill it in Tampa after he was traded. Uh, Piscotty had a solid year in Oakland, especially considering what went on personally for him. Gritchick hit 25 home runs, not a great average, but that's kind of par for the course with him. So now we're at seven, and then you include Dexter Fowler, Brett Cecil, and Mike Leake, and you are at 10. And these are all recent. So that, I think, is fair to discuss and wonder about. I disagree with the premise that the organization is cheap. But... That doesn't mean that I'm angry with you if you think that they are. I just don't I don't think that the facts line up unless you think that they were acting when it came to John Carlos Stanton. Now, the reason I provide all of that context is because it is my opinion that this interview is going to get passed around and there are going to be a number of people who normally don't listen to the show and don't know who I am or how I do interviews that will uh, be listening. And so I wanted to kind of give you my perspective so you know where I'm coming from before you listen. So the way I do interviews in general, we've had a number of politicians in here. Uh, as far to the right is Ed Martin. As far to the left is Alderwoman Megan Green. 
and everybody in between. Um, Jack Danforth has been a guest. Um, we have had uh, Jim Talent as a guest. Uh, we have talked with Jason Kander about being a guest. My politics, uh, which are certainly uh, wouldn't fit into any particular political party, I'm well aware of that because I know in the last 10 years I voted for both political parties, don't play into it. I ask questions, but it's like a conversation. Uh, so it's not a cable news style interview or what I would describe as kind of a gotcha interview. Okay, I'm going to lead him to say this, so then I can say, well, you just said this, but back here in 2016 you said that. That's not the style. It's a conversation. And so... In a conversation, you hear what the person has to say, and you may counter, but it's done in what I would describe as how you would have a conversation with somebody if you were at a restaurant or bar in a boardroom. That's how I would describe it. So, plenty of you do listen to the program, and you're like, dude, I know. Why are you saying this? And I'm saying, I think a lot of people are going to listen to this who are Cardinal fans who don't listen to the show regularly, and I want to give them the explanation as to my tone in this interview and my tone in this interview, I'd like to think is, is certainly, um, I don't know what the right word would be, I guess kind. However, the questions that I ask are, I'd like to think the questions that you, the fans wanted to hear answers to. And a podcast format is way more effective to hear the context and length in answers and explanations than any other format. It's it's the best for that uh, in 2018, and I don't even know what would be close to it because a radio show of which I have hosted and been a part of for 14 years, you just don't re- you just don't get a guest to come into studio for an hour and can run a straight hour interview podcast. We did, and so questions such as Adam Wainwright's future and the interest of Bill DeWitt to bring him back are talked about in detail. Questions about Dexter Fowler's situation, that contract, are in detail. Questions about the Cardinals struggling to sign free agents, in detail. A question point blank asked, does it bother you, Mr. DeWitt, Bill, that fans think you're cheap, in detail. Um, And then also, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, are the Cardinals comfortable taking on those kinds of potential contracts, in detail. In addition to, you know, the Mike Schilt Hiring was something that was met with a lot of approval at the time. I personally, along with, I can remember Ben Fredrickson being another person. It just stands out to me. It doesn't mean he was the only one and I was the only one um, going, okay, that's understandable based on August, but it's one month. What's the upside in in locking him up now on the off chance that they fall apart in September? Uh, So why do that? That question answered in detail, but I don't yell at the man. You know, I don't know. I don't know who I really yell at. Uh, you know, it's I was I was yelled at as a pledge at a fraternity for a few years, and I kind of like laughed at it and went one ear out the other. So I'm just not big in the yelling thing. I, mean, I, I don't like when I watch interviews and I feel like the uh, the reporter is condescending. Uh, it's like I'll, I'll use an example from CNN and I'll use an example from Fox News to therefore try to not alienate people. Uh, when Bill O'Reilly interviewed Barack Obama, I'm like, this man, whether you like him or not, is, I think we would all agree, a brilliant man, and he's being treated like he's some kind of moron. That was a turnoff. And like almost anybody these days who Brooke Baldwin interviews on CNN, I feel like she's, for whatever reason, become condescending. And it's just it's just not, the, to me, first off, I think it's just not the right way to, to treat someone. But secondarily, you're not going to get a good answer. So you're going to do a shitty interview. 
So with all that said, there is the context as to um, the Bill DeWitt interview. It is the deep tease of the interview. I think you will hear a lot from him that you might agree with and you might disagree with. And I always welcome your feedback at Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Bill DeWitt is presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Mark Hanna is somebody I have gotten to know since he started sponsoring the podcast in July. And uh, listen, I mean, the, 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 re- the reality of it is this is a business. And without sponsors, I don't have a podcast unless I just want it to be a hobby. And at 42 years old, I'm not real interested in, in just doing things for free. So uh, the sponsors are part of the business. And anytime I meet a sponsor, uh, I'm thrilled that somebody wants to be on the show. I'm thrilled when they get their return on investment because without them getting on the return on investment, they're not going to be advertising. And so the fact that people are calling Mark Hanna is great, but the fact that I've now gotten to know Mark and I know he is going to be good for you in the audience is why it fires me up to talk about him. Mark Hanna is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And for me, uh, when I talk with my financial advisors over the years and just kind of dismiss it and go, well, I'm 25, what do I care? I'm 31, what do I care? And then all of a sudden you get to 42 and you go, oh my God, I should have cared. That's when I look back and go, man, I really wish I would have had somebody like Mark Hanna at Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And so that's what I'm trying to convey to you. And it's not like once you get to 40, it's too late. If anything, that's what's like, okay, now it's time to do it. Uh, his number is 314-889-0503 or check him out online at evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. And what he's going to do, and I've seen him do it because I did it with him. He enters in all of your information into his iPad and it's a really simple process. It's not like you got to fill out the, the thing that turns so many people off is filling out the paperwork. You just give it to him. He enters it in. He gets you organized. And then he tells you where you need to be in order to get to where you want to go. And it, I think it just reduces anxiety. It's like, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. Then you go and you're like, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. And now I'm not kicking myself for not going to the gym. Just go to the gym. Well, just call Mark. You'll be happy that you did. 314-889-0503 or check him out online at evergreenstl.com. This is a really good guy. This is a sharp guy. This is a guy who's going to get you on the right track. His name is Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at evergreenstl.com. Ryan Kelly is our studio sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show. The show is now a year old. Uh, never knew how far it would go, how long it would go. Still don't know how long it will go, but I do know this. Ryan Kelly has been with us from the very beginning. Ryan Kelly has been sponsoring the Ryan Kelly Morning After on 590 The Fan KFNS. Going back about seven years now, and that means I've gotten to know him as well, and that's why it's so easy for me to talk about him and say that if you're going to buy a house or if you're going to refinance, Ryan Kelly is the person to do business with. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. His name is Ryan Kelly, and you go to the website, and you have two tabs to click on. Would I like to refinance? Would I like to buy a home? And then you enter in your information, and the next thing you know, now you see how much money they're going to save you if you refinance or can compare it with anybody else, and I know they're going to give you the best deal if you're going to be buying a home. This guy gets the business. He's a good person. Uh, His charity and his philanthropic efforts are incredible. And uh, on top of it, I know he's going to save you money. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. His name is Ryan Kelly. These sponsors make this program possible. Salt and Smoke caters, Salt and Smoke restaurants in New City and in South City on Hampton. For all of your catering needs, go to saltandsmokestl.com, the official brisket of the Ryan Kelly morning after. And it's so good. So you don't just need to go to the restaurants. They will cater for you. Go to saltandsmokestl.com. Tom Schmidt. Uh, man, does he have a great thing going with salt and smoke. I cannot get enough of that salt and smoke brisket. It is so good. We had it for our son's first birthday. We had it catered by salt and smoke. 
can't recommend it enough to you, the audience, saltandsmokestl.com. So there it all is. Support the sponsors because without the sponsors, you don't get to hear interviews like you're about to hear with the Cardinal Chairman. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to present to you Cardinal Chairman Bill DeWitt. So I was going to say Mr. DeWitt, but you say... Bill. Bill. All yeah. right. That's right. It's like when I sat <laughs> okay, down with, yeah. uh, with, with Senator Jack Danforth and I said, Senator, and he said, Tim, Jack. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. Yeah, so if you, right. say, if you say it, then that's what I'm going to, I still think I'm probably going to call you Mr. DeWitt. Well, but don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> right uh, now I won't. Jack's well, older than I am too. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in and, uh, and sitting down with me right, right after the season. I really, really appreciate it. Well, good to be here. Thank you. Uh, I'm curious what it's like as the chairman of the team when it looked like the unlikely was going to happen based on where things were in July. And then unfortunately, from a probability standpoint, the unlikely wound up happening in the final week of the season where the team came up short. I know for some fans, they have a tough time sleeping or they get really frustrated. How is it as, as the person who is the chairman of the organization? Well, it was great to be in a position to get to the playoffs, but unfortunately, we didn't play well the last week of the season. And you know, that happens. You, you play well for a while and, you know, teams get in slumps and don't play as well. And, uh, you know, it happened at the end, so it gets magnified. But, you know, overall, we had a great second half when we made some changes and, you know, hung in there in the first half. We were a game over 500. And then, um, you know, we changed our hitting coaches, cha- uh, changed managers and changed our bullpen. So w- we did some things we thought could, uh, you know, give the team a spark. And it did. And, uh, you know, we, we have no complaints. We had a great second half and uh, wanted to win that last series or two, and it would have put us in the playoffs. Sure. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. Uh, your, your son was kind enough to join me on this show a few months ago, and we talked about, well, I talked about, and uh, obviously he uh, was appreciative and concurred, the run the organization has had since 2000 of being in the mix I can't imagine there are too many other franchises in all of professional sports that have that. I mean, even in the down years, if you want to call 2003 a down year, it was a non-postseason year, but the team won more games than the 06 world champion team. Uh, 07 and 08 weren't great years, but in the mix in September, certainly in the mix in 2010, then the run begins through 2015, and now, over the last three years, in the mix into the last week of the season in 2016, 2017, and 2018. In one sense, I mean, that's an incredible statistic. On the other side of it, it's the second time, only second time in your tenure, uh, where the organization hasn't made the playoffs for three straight years. How do you feel when I rattle off those those statistics? Well, I think if you take a broader look, since 2010, we've only played three regular season games that were not meaningful games. And... You know, they happened really in the last uh, several years. So, um, you know, I th- we feel pretty good about our record. Uh, we were right there at the end, not only this year, but the prior two years. And, you know, we've got tough competition. There are good teams in our division. Our division's extremely strong. Got the Cubs, Milwaukee tied for first. Uh, had we beaten both of them, we'd have been right there uh, in first or tied for first. But mm-hmm. we did win the se- season series against uh, both of them. And, you know, we just, uh, uh, for whatever reason, fell a little bit short at the end. And, uh, I feel great. I mean, I, I feel like we had a shot and I'm disappointed we didn't make the playoffs. I was disappointed last year. I was disappointed the year before, 
Uh, but on the other hand, we have made the playoffs a lot. And once we've gotten in, we've done real damage over the years. And so the key is getting in. And uh, unfortunately, this year we didn't. When you look at it just being a matter of a game or two, as it unfortunately has been the last last couple of years, um, and, and you see the the standings at the end of the season, is it something where you go, ah, I, maybe we should have made a change or changes earlier in the season? I, I don't think so. I, I think the timing was about right, and... Uh, you know, could we have brought up some of these young pitchers earlier? Maybe uh, because our bullpen really faltered earlier in the season. We had high hopes when we signed Greg Holland, but in, in hindsight, he didn't have spring training. He wasn't sharp, uh, and we moved on. Uh, we did get fortunate with uh, Bud Norris because yeah. he did a really good job, particularly the first half, uh, and, and then he ran out of gas a little bit with some nagging injuries. Uh, but, you know, Jordan Hicks sort of, he didn't come out of nowhere. We knew his talent, but he played high A last year and, you know, he stepped right into the big leagues and played a key part in the bullpen this year. So we have high hopes for him uh, down the road as well. So overall, um, you know, looking back, I, I don't think we could have done anything differently uh, that could have changed things. Uh, we just... Uh, you know, it's baseball. We we won 88 games, which is a lot of games. I think this is the first year in a long time when 88 games has not gotten into the playoffs. So we got a little unlucky in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we were right there, and that's that's what we try to do every year. My read on the way you try to operate, at least the Cardinal business, and I can't speak to any other businesses, is you don't like a lot of turmoil, a lot of turnover. And I don't think that, and I think that applies not just to the baseball side, but also the business side from my understanding of, of people who've worked with you for a number of years. Uh, I, I always make the analogy to the Roonies with the Steelers. I feel like there's stability, there's tradition there. And I think uh, both you and the Roonies take pride in that. So when you actually did have to make a move in season with the manager, how difficult was that for you? Well, in-season moves are tough, uh, and it was, you know, without, uh, not without a lot of thought. But Mike had been with us six and a half years. He had a lot of success, never had a losing season. Uh, but sometimes, uh, I think Tony LaRusse would be the first to admit this, he used to say, 10 years and you're out because the message gets old. Yeah. Uh, but really, managers don't generally last in one place for a long time because— you know, it's a good point. They they have their style. They have their way of saying things. And, you know, if you have continuity in your in your players, uh, you know, they've been there, heard that, done that. Uh, and sometimes a, a fresh voice can make a difference, and I think it did this year. When you were at the press conference announcing that Mike was no longer the Cardinal manager and that Mike Schilt was going to be the interim manager, are you in the back of your mind, or perhaps even the forefront, thinking... This is this is the guy. We think this is the guy. What were you thinking? We thought it could be the guy, and until someone actually does it, you never know. Uh, he certainly profiled. When he came to us, uh, I can't tell you how many years ago, starting at the lowest level, he was always a rising star, uh, and especially with the traditional baseball guys. Uh, George Kissel and uh, his protégés like Mark DeJean and uh, Steve Turco and 
and guys like that were always very high on Mike Schilt. He was sort of the younger guy uh, in the squad, and they said, this is an up-and-comer. The one thing he had uh, going against him a little bit was that he had not played professional baseball. But he was a baseball rat. He grew up around the ballpark. His mother worked in baseball. Uh, So, you know, he knew the game from a young age, uh, played in college, and, you know, started his pro career. He scouted. He, uh, He did all kinds of things in the organization, started managing at the lower levels, had a lot of success. And players who played for him loved playing for him because, uh, you know, he related to them. He Mm -hmm. communicated with them. If he took a pitcher out, he told him why. If he didn't, you know, if he benched a player, he told him why. Uh, It wasn't just, you know, I'm the boss and I'll do what I want. Uh, So he had a good rapport with the players. And he really checked all the boxes. He's smart. He's personable. He's good with the media. He's good in the public. Uh, and he's very good with the players. I was uh, curious as to the thought process of the move when you made it to take the interim tag off of Mike Schild. Uh, just looking at it from the standpoint of, well, there's nothing to lose by waiting another month and seeing how it goes. Um, and I'm not sure. I was wondering what the organization felt like it gained. So from an analytic standpoint of upside and downside, I'm, I'm curious what your thought process was. Well, we felt, first of all, he earned it. Secondly, uh, you can only be interim so long, and uh, we didn't have to do it then. We could have waited until the end of the season, uh, but we didn't really feel it was necessary to go do a big interview process. We knew generally who was available out there, and you, you know, you never know when you interview someone to be a manager what kind of manager they're actually going to be for the club that you have. I mean, they can make the greatest impression in the world. They can have the greatest reputation in the world. But until you actually work with them on a daily basis, you really don't know what kind of manager they're going to be mm-hmm. for your organization. And we knew what we had in Mike Schilt. So, you know, there was no sort of thought that, uh, boy, there's something better out there because anybody that we would bring in obviously was not currently managing for whatever reason, uh, whether it was a you know, a new person to the scene or whether it was somebody who had managed. But we knew, we knew the, generally the field out there and, you know, there's some qualified guys, no question about it, that had had a lot of success, like Mike had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'll be on some lists. But when you have someone that you know uh, can do the job and, and you feel comfortable with, there's no real reason to wait. Yeah. Uh, have you found, I mean, being as close to the game and knowing the things that you know, the behind the scenes that none of us are privy to, that when the month starts up, you have a gauge on who's going to do well? I mean, most of the time your team has been in the mix anyway. Or have you found, oh my gosh, here we go. Like in 2003, I'm like, the one team that can't win this year is the Marlins. And then sure enough, they wind up winning the World Series. So I'm, I'm done trying to analyze. I thought the 2018 Cardinals were done in July and it shows yeah. what I know. Uh, have you been able to feel like, yeah, you kind of have a good idea of prognosticating from your position? You know, we always forecast at the beginning of the year what we think teams will do. And of course, they're never uh, 100% accurate <laughs> or even close to it. Baseball is such a such an interesting game because I think some of the other sports, you really know the good teams and the teams that can't compete. Oh, NBA, you already could do the finals right now, the final four. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty predictable, but baseball's not. And the reason is you get young players who come up and can, and all of a sudden, hey, this team's pretty good. 
I don't think too many teams picked Atlanta this year, mm-hmm. but they had two great rookies take oh off gosh, and, yeah. and some nice years out of veterans, and all of a sudden they win the division, and, you know, they're right in the thick of things. So, you know, it's uh, it makes it fun that way that you can't just sit back and say, well, this team's going to win the division. I think most teams pick Washington to win the East, and uh, sure enough, here comes Atlanta, uh, somewhat out of nowhere, probably ahead of schedule. I think they would even say that, you know, they have a young team. They were hoping to compete, and, uh, you know, they have a really bright future. Uh, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. But when that actually hits, uh, you never know, and, yeah. and this this is a year. Yeah, ahead of schedule, I think, is what most people would describe the Atlanta Braves. So when a Cardinal season ends, immediately the discussion turns to the offseason. Uh, I think some people enjoy the offseason sport more than the actual season itself. What is your mindset as you head into the 2018-2019 offseason? Well, the first thing is to assess what we have, what we have coming, and and decide where we need to improve. And, you know, we've started those conversations, and as we see who becomes available throughout the winter, uh, we'll, we'll try to improve the club. We do that every year, and, uh, you know, you, you either improve or you go backwards. So, uh, our goal is to get better, and uh, you know I think the nice thing about this season is that we had a lot, a lot of young players come up and perform. So we've got a bright future. We've got a really young club if you average it out. Uh, some of our key players are certainly veterans like Yachty and uh, Matt Carpenter and uh, Wayna, who really came on strong the last three games, uh, and others. But you know we've got a really great young core, particularly pitchers. Uh, but position players as well. So uh, it's exciting to think about that. You mentioned Adam Wainwright. What is your position on Adam Wainwright for 2019 and beyond? Well, we'll certainly talk to him and see what he's looking to do. Uh, He's a free agent. His contract expired. And uh, I think he demonstrated at the end that when he's healthy, he can still pitch. So, you know, it's a function of what that elbow looks like and how long it'll hold up and can he do that for a full season or, uh, you know, just spot spot starts and things like that. So, you know, we'll assess that, get, get the full medical and go from there. Would you be interested in bringing him back? Well, we'd love to have the, the Adam Wainwright that we saw the last three games pitch for us, certainly. Yeah. Uh, but I, we want to make sure that, first of all, he wants to do that. And secondly, uh, that we're all comfortable that, Health-wise, he'll be able to perform. I, I wonder if this is something that was hearsay or it's actually accurate. During the Albert Pujols free agency, 2011-2012, uh, it was reported, if it was fact, and you certainly can clear the record here, that you like the idea of being the chairman for a player of his caliber and he spends his entire career in St. Louis. That's something that you value that perhaps maybe other owners in baseball don't value as much. And if that premise is accurate, does that apply to players like, for example, we're going to see with Yadier Molina and potentially with Adam Wainwright, albeit coming from the Braves organization as a minor leaguer? Yeah, I do value that. I think that's that's a nice thing for a franchise. It creates continuity in, in the fan base. It's, uh, you know, it says something about players who want to stay Cardinals and uh, the really good players who have been part of championship teams I know I've enjoyed playing here in St. Louis and, and want to keep that association with the Cardinals. 
So it, it definitely has value. It would be nice to have um, Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, players of that category, uh, which there aren't many, <laughs> uh, you know, have their, their full major league career with the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I'm curious on this. You know, I was talking with, uh, with John Mazalek down at spring training, and I don't know if you sensed this. And I said, I feel like this is the first time in, in I've been following the Cardinals on a daily basis since 1982 and doing this job here for about 20 years now. And it's the first time that I ever felt like the fan base was full of angst going into a season. There was a lot of, like, if you mentioned the Cardinals being successful, it's like they didn't do much this offseason. I felt like there was some, some, I don't know if anger is the right word or frustration. And so I'm going, I'm asking you to go back to February and March when we're down in Jupiter. But did you, did you sense that at the time? Well, we, I think, um, you know, we missed the playoffs the prior year, 2017, and everyone is encouraging us to get better so we can make the playoffs. Uh, and we thought we did get better. One of our weaknesses was uh, a lack of offense, and we went out and got Marcelo Zuna, which was really the signature acquisition of the offseason. And, you know, at that point, I think, I think the fan base, the media, and those who follow the Cardinals felt like we had a really strong offensive club, given what Tommy Pham had done the year before, uh, given what Dexter Fowler had done the year before. And there were there was talk of, you know, the best outfield in baseball, uh, or one of the better ones in baseball. Um, the, there was actually more questioning about our pitching than there was about our position players, because we, we looked pretty solid. We liked our pitching, and we kept saying, look, we've got depth. And so, you know, it turned out uh, pitching was very good. Our offense struggled particularly early, uh, but it did come through later in the year. Mm -hmm. So with that said, now it's three straight seasons without a postseason berth. In your mind, does that create a greater sense of urgency in this offseason as opposed to previous offseasons? Uh, we have a sense of urgency every year, uh, when, particularly when we don't make the playoffs, but we're close. Yeah. I mean, if we were out of it, like 15 games back or something, we might have a different strategy. But our strategy at this point is to improve the club and try to win another, you know, X number of games, get us at, to 90 or higher, and then you're really assured of getting into the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, we'll determine the best route for that. Uh, and uh, it's hard to say at this point because, you, you know, we, we've got a lot of talent. We're pretty strong, extremely strong up the middle, particularly defensively. And we've got a lot of pieces in the pitching staff and determining where those pieces fit in will be uh, a creative uh, exercise for our manager and yeah. pitching coach and uh, the whole staff. Uh, you know, we've got a number of pitchers who can start. I mean, you could probably name nine or ten starters if you if Adam Wainwright comes back. And, you know, that's a it's great, but it's challenging. I think one element of this <laughs> offseason that makes this different than others is the fact that you have two huge names out there in baseball's free agency. Are you comfortable with the idea of signing a player to the kind of contracts that are being talked about for, for Bryce Harper and Manny Machado? Well, we never rule anything out. 
and it, you know, it all depends on what the market is. There are 30 teams out there. A lot of them are interested in signing the best players. And we historically have not had a ton of success with the big name free agents. Although we have been the underbidder in quite a few of those cases. Uh, but sometimes, uh, and who knows, uh, we could be the, uh, the one that, that signs a high profile free agent, but you know, that's something we certainly aren't counting on because, you know, it's very difficult to do. There's tremendous competition. Uh, the numbers it can get to a point where it doesn't enable you to do things with the rest of the club. And let's face it, no one player can can carry a club. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the case uh, with the two biggest free agents, great, great players. But to team game, I mean, Baltimore had a really awful season. And Manny Machado was a great player. So one player can't do it. Uh, Washington, I'm sure, is disappointed in their season. Harper had a really strong year. Uh, so you, you need a team. And if if you pay too much for one player and you can't put together a team, you're going to be in trouble. I want to be careful with the way I phrase it because I'm, I know I can create an answer that I'm not necessarily looking for. But clearly you don't, quote-unquote, need a centerpiece. The, the organization was incredibly fortunate to have the centerpiece that it had from 2001 through 2011 with Albert. But I don't feel like there has been a centerpiece player um, over the last X amount of years. You could certainly make a case for what Matt Carpenter did and the run he went on for a couple of months this year. How do you view having a centerpiece, middle-of-the-order guy that you know five years from now uh, is, is going to be there? You know, all things being equal with health, of course. But but that idea, how important is that to you also as a signature you know, piece to, I, to I think it's got value, no question. Yeah. And, and I think um, we, we, when we made the Ozuna deal, we thought that was a possibility. Uh, I don't think he played up to his capabilities this year because of his shoulder was compromised. But, you know, he once he got that in a better place, he started doing what we thought he could do. Uh, so we have high hopes for him next year. Um, you know, generally, you're going to get that centerpiece guy from your system. And while we've generated a lot of really good players, uh, you know, that that – that is kind of where it comes from. That's where Yachty came from. That's where uh, Albert Pujols came from. Uh, and in the earlier years of our ownership, we were able to get premium players from other clubs, but the market changed. And, you know, we were opportunistic back then when we were able to get Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland and Mark McGuire mm-hmm. and Edgar Renneria and Chris Carpenter, and I could go on and Darryl on. Daryl Kyle would certainly fall Those, those days are yeah. kind of over. So, right. you, you know, you better have them coming from your system or, you, you know, you're probably not going to get them. And, and then a number of those cases, McGuire, Edmonds, Roland, um, I'm probably leaving one out, they would get here and then they would sign extensions. Holiday, 2009, after he was acquired Holiday's from the, another one. From the yeah. A's. So that was... A feeling, I think, uh, that not only the organization, what a great run for the organization, to be able to lock these guys down after trading prospects in order to get them, but then also, I think the city felt pride because these guys came here, they loved it, they stayed. Recently, I feel like when you combine some of the elements of St. Louis that have nothing to do with the Cardinals, such as the Rams moving, uh, if you want to take it to a broader scope, Ferguson, 
um, the MLS vote, all these things that make people kind of lose their self-esteem. And then on top of that, you have John Carlos Stanton saying, yeah, no thanks. Uh, David Price, how oh, the Red Sox came over the top. Jason Hayward was here, decided to leave. And then people go, is it going to be tougher now for the Cardinals to get the premier free agents than it was in the past? And in fairness, those guys that I all named experienced the organization, at least for a couple of months before signing extensions, with the exception of Hayward, these other names have not. But has the game changed not just from an economic standpoint, but also from a St. Louis perception for free agent standpoint? I don't think so. Uh, well, first of all, the players that we talked about, Edmonds, Roland, McGuire, Renteria, Holiday. Kyle, Holiday, you know, that core, uh, those were trades. Right. And so they had an opportunity to experience St. That's, Louis. That's what I was saying. And yeah. they all stayed. Uh, the one player who did not stay was Jason Hayward. Uh, he was only with us one year, and I think he saw the core in Chicago and for whatever reason chose to go there. But we've done a really good job in retaining players. Now, free agents are different because if they have not experienced St. Louis, it's a little hard to sell them on it. Oh, come to the city and, you know, check the neighborhoods out and all that. That's a, that's different from playing here a season, seeing what the fan base is like, uh, experiencing what Joe Torrey says, and that is that if you've ever played in St. Louis, they treat you like royalty. Uh, and, you know, it's true. It's 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 absolutely true. Yeah. And he's not the only one who says that. Yeah. Because uh, you see all the players who actually have moved here uh, who came from other teams. Ozzie Smith, Lou Brock, uh, you know, Willie McGee's back coaching. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the key is to get them here. And I know once we get them here, we can keep them here. Hope you're enjoying the interview with the Cardinal chairman, Bill DeWitt. Without our sponsors, we don't have interviews like this. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. It uh, costs money to do these things. It costs money to have producers who have done great work on getting these guests into the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. And so the sponsors are key. And if you want to support the podcast, well, support the sponsors. And James Carlton is one of the sponsors. And James Carlton is somebody who I know is going to do outstanding work for you because he does outstanding work when I'm working with him. If you're buying a house, getting married, or have a growing family, make sure your loved ones will be okay if you don't make it home. Call James at 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net to see just how inexpensive it is to protect your family through term life insurance. Now, although the worst is unlikely, none of us would leave the driveway without strapping our little tykes into a car seat. Life insurance is no different. Although it's not likely that you don't make it home tonight, it's not a risk worth taking when it comes to providing for your loved ones. State Farm is the number one provider of term life insurance in the U.S., so call James Carlton at 314-961-4800 or apply online at carltoninsurance.net. It's James Carlton, State Farm Insurance, online at carltoninsurance.net or call him at 314-961-4800. When you make the switch, they do all the work for you and they will do great work with you. 314-961-4800 or online at carltoninsurance.net. James Carlton, if your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. One of the things that I, I talked about when your son was on, on the podcast, we talked about and, I, and I'm biased, so I'm, I'm, I'm going into this acknowledging that I'm biased. It, it kind of puts makes me frustrated when hosting the radio show and people say, yeah, but the Cardinals are cheap. And I go, ah, I mean, 
you know, I'm open to second guessing moves and so on and so forth. That's part of the game. But if it's if it's out there that the organization was in on John Carlos Stanton, the biggest contract in baseball, then how can how can the two coexist? How can the organization be cheap, but then also pursuing John Carlos Stanton, unless it was just this grand metagame bluff to make it look like you were in on John Carlos Stanton when I know that you met with John Carlos Stanton. So yeah. you guys went to great lengths to really pull off the bluff. Well, we actually had a deal with Miami subject to his approval, and he chose not to approve it. So, you know, that was a big commitment, potential commitment. And I think, you know, he wasn't happy with the new ownership down there. I don't know if he was... Uh, and he had the right, you know, I, I will say he could choose wherever he wanted to go. And if they didn't find where he wanted to go, he could just stay in Miami and he had an opt out in his contract. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he could get out in sure. three years. Right. So, you know, those nuances to contracts now are pretty tough. They it gives the player a lot of leverage. And I, you know, I think he thought, Hey, if I'm going to leave Miami, which I like as a city, and he, he, I'm not sure where he's from, but I think he lives on the West Coast. Yeah, he's from the West Coast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, N- New York appealed to him. L.A. appealed to him. He's a, he's a coast guy. So, I mean, I can't criticize him for that. That's just, you know, what he was looking to do. But I will say many, many more players who have had an opportunity to play in St. Louis have chosen it, and they certainly have never regretted it. Yeah, and the reason I bring that up, I was about to call you Mr. DeWitt, but I know you don't want that, so I'm going to say it. The reason I bring that up, Bill, <laughs> yeah. is because in some corners of the fan base, there is a perception that the organi- organization is not willing to spend money. And again, I point out the John Carlos Stanton thing as, as an example, and I don't really know how you can counter that. I'm talking about if I were debating this with somebody of course, is the person who's the chairman of the organization. What is your response to that criticism? Well, we've always spent on payroll kind of our position in the revenue standings, which is we're towards the bottom of the top third. So we're, you know, anywhere from, depending on the year, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, somewhere in there in terms of revenue. And that's kind of where we've been in terms of payroll over the years. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may fluctuate one year to the next, uh, you know, you look at some of the teams in our division that, that have really good teams that have way less payroll than ours. Uh, the Cubs have higher capacity. They've got, they draw the same, but, you know, they've got all kinds of revenue streams being in Chicago. They've got a huge TV deal, um, and it's going to get bigger. Uh, you know, that it's that's a little bit different ball ballgame. Uh, so there are, there are big markets that can do a lot differently a lot different than than what we can do but we've been competitive i mean we've we had uh you know close to 160 million dollar payroll this year which is very strong it's higher than average it's in the top uh right below the big big spenders uh, and we spent a lot on our minor league system we went over the cap paid a penalty for it uh last year i think that's what some people don't understand it's not all major league spending it's uh you're going to go sign an international player which we've done uh all that type of thing so mm-hmm. you know we we spend to our resources and uh you know i think we've we've shown that we'll spend when the, the right opportunity is there does that criticism bother you pardon me does that criticism bother you 
no, I think it's kind of natural. I mean, I think it's typical in, in uh, most markets that all teams are encouraged to do more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, well, I, I think in the case, specific to the Cardinals, I guess when you look at it, it's like, okay, f- how many times are we going to hear that they finished second, you know, on this premier free agent, you know? <laughs> so it's great that they're in the mix, but you know, the silver medal doesn't get you the player. So I think, no. again, I'm trying to psychoanalyze, and I think that's where it comes from in well, part. Well, I think, you know, in more cases than not, the winner can be the loser. And, you know, if you get stuck on a really bad contract for a really long period of time, it really hampers what you can do in the future. So those are the considerations. If mm-hmm. there were certainty to these players you know, you'd spend more, Mm -hmm. but there is uncertainty performance wise, health wise, um, you know, competitiveness wise. And I think as you've seen in recent years, the teams that are doing well are the ones that have the best young players coming up. No question. It's not the ones who have recycled, you know, the former stars. It's, it's the ones who have the talent coming up. Yeah. I mean, you take a look at who's in the mix right now and, and it's, you know, the defending world champions, for example. That is a right. that's an in-house operation with the with the current world champions, the Astros, so, uh, the Cubs, and, uh, and the, the Yankees. The, sure, the yeah. Yankees. You know, they're not stuck on a lot of bad old contracts. They used to be, mm-hmm. and they weren't competitive. And and you know, they've really done a great job in putting the team together. That they have now. It's young. It's aggressive. It's uh, you, you know. It's built on the farm system and analytics and it, it's a different deal from the Yankees of old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What we saw in the late 1990s, when you were seeing that in the late 1990s, what were you thinking? <laughs> I was like, what can I do? I just bought this thing three years ago. Yeah. This right. is a different, this is different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Now that was a tough time. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. By the way, regarding contract, I mean, I think it'd be awkward for you to say, but I think most Cardinal fans, like it would have been great to have Albert pools here, but what the angels wound up paying at, that would have been, you know, that would have been rough for this organization. But taking that out of the equation, let's just go to the morning that it's announced that he's going to the Angels. What was your emotion? You know, my emotion was that he decided to go where he wanted to go. And we had had a negotiation the night before, and he told us that he was going to think about uh, which offer he was going to take. So you knew it was so, down to you guys and the Angels? I did, yeah. yeah. I knew it was down to the two of us. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what he would do. It was his call. We had made a huge offer. Did you know the Angels' offer was greater, or you're not, or you're not privy to that? Uh, you... I, it was my understanding that it was a, a bit higher, but not dramatically. Uh, and, you know, given the extent of both offers, I, I thought he would pick actually the place he wanted to go as opposed to um, you know, a little bit of incremental money and, you know, he did. And, and, and I don't know exactly why or how that all worked out, but you know, one thing about it is when you lose a player like that, it frees up money to do other things. It, we got draft choices. Michael Walker was, was a pick that we had there. And without him in 2013, we wouldn't have won the pennant. So you know, the system kind of worked. They they got a, a really good player, a Hall of Fame player in Anaheim. Uh, but, you know, we, we got great years uh, from Albert Pujols. He won three MVPs and was runner-up to Barry Bonds three or four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great player, an iconic player. And, 
Um, you know, that's part of why we wanted to keep him, even though, you know, we'd had him a long time. He was in his early 30s, and, you know, that's a point in time where, as time goes on, you're just not going to be the same player. I don't mm-hmm. care who, who would right. be the greatest player that ever lived. As, you know, you get into your mid to late 30s, you're just not going to be as good. I mean, that's hasn't happened. So, um, having said that, we wanted him, we wanted to keep him as, you know, a, an iconic Cardinal, uh, one of the greatest of all time, but didn't work out. Uh, but we did have great years out of him. Yeah. For the first time, he makes his return to St. Louis. It's less than a year now. Uh, any tricks up your sleeve for that uh, evening in June when the Angels make their return and Albert makes his return? You know, I'm, I'm really excited to have him back. Uh, and I know all the fans are. That's going to be... It's going to be quite the celebration. I mean, can you imagine the standing O he's going to get the first time he comes up to the plate? Yeah. Uh, I hope we win all three games, but he does good things. How about that? Right. I mean, I'd love to see it. I, you know, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. <laughs> you were mentioning one of the things that I, when we talk about the Cardinals and that, that run of success that, that's, that's gone on with being competitive into September, I feel like what has been a great accomplishment on the part of the organization is to not get those albatross contracts, those albatross contracts that can, as you're making reference to, can really hamper an organization. Um, Dexter Fowler is a guy who I think a lot of people were excited about when he was signed a couple of years ago. Obviously, 2018 was not the way anybody wanted it to go. Um, and there's still three years on the deal. How do you view Dexter Fowler's place with the Cardinals at this moment in October of 2018? Well, he had a really good first year. He, um, you know, started off at the top of the order, worked his way down a little bit into a more uh, productive position. And, you know, he had a lot of home runs and he had a really good first year. Uh, So we had high hopes uh, coming into this season and he got off to a tough start Um couple nagging injuries and he just never kind of got it together this year but he's young enough and you know we do have three years left he's a switch hitter which has value he can run which has value and he's been a productive player so if he comes in healthy and can be the kind of player that that he has been in the past you know, that, that would be a plus for the club. Yeah. How much of the managerial element do you think factored into his struggles in 2018? Well, I think, uh, you know, like all the players, any new fresh voice can change things. And it's not that it's a better message or, you know, the old message was not good. It's just, it's different. It's fresh. It's, oh, well, you know, things weren't working before, so maybe I'll try this or that. And, you know, it's uh, the game is so mental. Uh, it's not just a physical game; it's a mental game. Every every day is a grind. It's hard to be a hitter. It's hard to perform in Major League Baseball. Everybody's so good that you're playing against, and you need the right frame of mind. You you need the right thoughts, and uh, hopefully, Dex will come in with with that viewpoint and have the kind of season he had the year before. Taking a look at your tenure as as the chairman, and we're going back to 1995 and what has been uh, a great run for this organization when you look at all the postseasons, world championships, pennants. Is there a moment, perhaps one that we wouldn't be aware of, where you go, this was, I can't believe that this is, this is happening and I'm, 
you know, I'm I'm at the top of the totem pole in this organization. Is, is there a moment? I mean, I would assume I would game six 2011 World Series, but maybe there's something <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's something that I'm not aware of. Well, those great moments are time to sit back and enjoy because they don't come often. I, I think of the four pennants, oh, four, six, 11, and 13, um, not to mention the division championships. We've had a, so many celebrations in the locker room, and we miss them. <laughs> we want more. Uh, but you can't just think and look to the past, and I don't do that. Uh, Bernie Miklas wrote a story for The Athletic the other day that was a nice story talking about how we've done since since uh, we all took over uh, in 1996 was our first season. And, you know, it was good to read, and, and I don't have those stats at my fingertips, uh, but they were nice to read and, and nice to think about, and particularly as we're here in the offseason after a disappointing finish, you know, we've had a nice... Uh, nice run over that period of time with a lot of great moments. I mean, more than, frankly, anybody would have the right to think about. But having said that, uh, we had a meeting with our staff yesterday, and all I really care about at this point in time is next year. <laughs> you know, it's a great thing about baseball. What? What? It doesn't matter what happened last year. It's next year. You know, it's the coming year. It's the current year. And that's why you live and die with every game. Uh, you don't think about, gee, we won the pennant in 2013 and the World Series in 2011. <laughs> Gosh, that was an awful game we blew or a great, <laughs> great game that we won, came from behind. Uh, you know, it's kind of in the moment. Everybody yeah. is. I remember at the start of the 2012 season, I said, I'm not as excited for the 2012 season because I feel like we can't experience a higher high <laughs> than, than in 2011. And then sure enough, less than a year later, you have game five in Washington and that comeback. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, oh my, and then 2013, you beat Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers to win the pennant. Then next year, Adams had a home run off of Kershaw. <laughs> right. and Wong, it's a home run to beat the Giants. And you're like... And now that you're playing the Cubs and the NLDS and winning 100 games, it's like year after year after year. Yeah. It's something else. And I guess the other side of it is you get all of that, and then maybe people have expectations. Or I don't know. The word spoiled, I know, has a really strongly negative connotation, but the expectations get high. Do you think that that's a reason why we haven't seen as many people in the stands as what you would think? Like, to see the attendance not as high when you had that Brewers series, you know, with so much on the line— I don't know if this is a, a baseball-wide situation or if this is St. Louis-centric. What do you think is, first off, do you agree with the premise? I don't want to suppose well, on your behalf. Well, we had good crowds. The... I think once school starts and you're playing games during the week, particularly early in the week, and if they happen to be an afternoon game, or um, it's just hard to draw as well. And you're not going to get the out-of-town people coming at you know late sure. in the season like that. So, yeah. I mean, that's pretty typical if you turned your television on and spun around and saw the other teams, you'd think St. Louis is a pretty special place because, yeah. you know, we were draw, drawing thirty-five to 40,000 people. They weren't all there. We had some no-shows, but still, uh, you know, it was a pretty pretty impressive crowd in the scheme of things relative to other clubs. So um, you might think, oh, these should all be sold out, packed to the gills, and uh, the weekend games were, were pretty incredible. 
but once you get into the week, uh, it's just, and, you know, without sort of the out-of-town crowd, the full market. I mean, we're a regional franchise, no yeah. question about it. Yeah. Uh, everybody in this city is totally passionate, but to draw 3-3, three, 3-4, three, three, we really need the outer markets. And, you know, they come to St. Louis. St. Louis is a destination place. They love to go to the Arch. I think Ballpark Village has helped that. Um, but some of the smaller cities... Uh, you know, in, in, in driving distance, they love the Cardinals. And, but when you get midweek, September, late September, uh, it, it's, it, you know, it's different. Reading between the lines, and maybe I'm off on this, I feel like one of your most proud accomplishments since buying the Cardinals uh, 23 years ago, 22 years ago, is Ballpark Village. Is that a, is that a correct read? I think building the new sta- stadium with private funds, uh, which opened up that that area for Ballpark Village, and to be able to get that completed the way it is, it's really, I mean, we appreciate it here, but we have, I can't tell you how many teams from out of town have come here and said, this is what we want where we are. Uh, but it's hard to do. Uh, from a lot of viewpoints. One is to have that property and to design the stadium knowing that you've got Clark Street and then you've got, um, you know, all, all those buildings over there that you can look into. And, and, and when you're in the buildings, you, you can look back into the park uh, to do our telecast there. And, I mean, it's a pretty special experience that other teams are looking to emulate uh, but they need the right conditions to do it. Yeah, but to see the, the buildings coming out of the ground right now for the next phase, that's uh, the, the residential element. I remember talking to Mark Lamping. Gosh, I guess we're talking about 2005 or six. The residential, I'm talking to Jack Buck in 2001, interviewing Jack Buck at his house, and he said the thing that many people in St. Louis don't understand is San Francisco is a world-class city, whether there's the Giants are there or not, and that's no disrespect to St. Louis. It just that's what it has. St. Louis needs the Cardinals, and one of the things that these owners really would like to see is residential development. That's an important element of this, and now with that second phase, it's 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 laying the groundwork for that. Well, we think what's good for St. Louis is good for the Cardinals, and what's good for the Cardinals is good for St. Louis, and. I'm excited about the residential tower. We've had tremendous advance reservations. I mean, signed with deposits. Uh, I think Cordish, our partner, and we're 50-50 partners, w- has really been impressed. And I hope that's just the start of a wave of people coming to downtown and really nice facilities. And, you know, downtown is very key to to the region, to the to the to the whole area and we need to make sure that downtown is vibrant and has a reason to have people live there. And I mean, what is going in ballpark village now is really impressive. We've got a new hotel, got a new apartment building, got a new new office building, which is totally rented. Um, The apartment's doing great. I know the hotel developer, which is the Lowe's uh, corporation. They do great work. Um, And, you know, we're going to have more amenities down there without additional restaurants uh, where you can, you know, there's a big uh, fitness facility, a na- national fitness facility. Um, 
you know, it's going to be a, a nice community. And our goal is to have that be an anchor that is just everyone continues to build on. I think when people hear this, some people might go, yeah, that's great. I live in Chesterfield. I don't, I don't really care. But, but, but people will go, you know what? It's nice that the owner of the team is cognizant of the team's relationship to the city, especially considering what happened here with the Rams just a couple of years ago. Um, how important is that to you? Is that something that, that you're focused on as, as an owner of an organization? I am. I, I really care about it. And, you know, the, I think there was a story recently that the soccer stadium is, is back uh, under consideration. I think that would be great. Um, I know there's an aquarium going in. There's, uh, you know, a big uh, Ferris wheel contemplated. Anything that brings people downtown is, is good for the city, at, which is going to be good for the area. And I, you know, I was talking to my son about it today. I, I, you know, I saw someone's developing a building downtown. I said, this is great, you know, because the more development there is downtown, it feeds on itself. And, you know, if, if St. Louis can get over the hump with a core group of people living down there, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a great asset. Mm -hmm. And then others will want to come to St. Louis, businesses. Uh, and, you know, that's how you grow. Yeah. And, you know, it's meaningful to us, and we care about it. What were you thinking as you watched the Rams thing play out as an owner of a professional sports franchise? What do I think about the, the Rams? Well, what were you thinking as you saw the, the, the divorce Oh, the divorce. Yeah. Um, you know, they made a choice of what they felt was in the best interest of their franchise. And, uh, you know, far be it for me to uh, question what they chose to do. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is St. Louis is an incredible sports town. And that's just not Cardinal baseball. I mean, you look back historically, the sports that have been so important to this city, basketball, golf, tennis, I mean, you name it, soccer, huge soccer city, football, I mean, baseball, of course, uh, but all these other sports have been prominent in this city for many, many years. I mean, growing up here, I used to listen to Bob Burns on yeah. on the radio, and, you know, he would talk about all the sports, the college sports. I used to watch... Uh, the Billikens basketball games and, and even Washington U. I remember those te those basketball teams as a kid. Uh, and it's just a great, incredible sports town. And that's not BS. That's not, you know, I wouldn't say that about every city because it's just not true. The depth of the sports in this city is incredible. Yeah, I think I think the nation got a little taste of that outside of what they see with the Cardinals oh. and the Blues with the PGA Championship, oh. you know. I mean... I know a lot of people in the golf world. Reese Jones, who redesigned that golf course, is, was a, a sweet mate of mine in college. I mean, we're close friends. And he was telling me that those associated with golf have never seen anything like it. I mean, really. Tiger Woods said he's never seen anything like it. You know, the, the reception he got. And you know what? It was done in such an order... The crowds were fantastic. It was done in an orderly way. And, you know, it just spoke volumes about St. Louis. Yeah. Final thought. I don't even know if there's a question here. 
But I, I was saying this to your son when he was on, and I know this it, this totally comes off, and I know I'll get killed for it by some people who are just not happy about the team not being in the playoffs. So, so you know, the, the guy doing the interview is the bad guy, but it's fine. But this run it, with you as the owner of the organization um, is incredibly successful as a uh, conscious uh, citizen, I think also speaks volumes that I think, you know, 25 years from now, people will be talking about the Bill DeWitt Jr. era of ownership with the Cardinals and put it up there in the pantheon of St. Louis sports. And, um, you know, I was saying this to your son, you're like, wow, he was like, that's really kind of you to say. And I, but just like you were saying about St. Louis <laughs> right. sports fans, I wouldn't say it if I didn't feel that way. And I'm well aware that there are people listening who are like, how come they're not going to sign Bryce Harper? You know, and that, <laughs> right. they want me to yell at you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, but I also, I have, I have to look at, I have to call it how I see it. And that's how I see it. Um, well, I, you're nice to say that. It, and, and, you know, w- when we took over, our goal was, w- we were fortunate to, inherit a great franchise, let's face it. I mean, the history of the Cardinals and the success and the continuity of of the fans uh, over generations is something you just can't replicate. And the goal was to keep it going and hopefully enhance it and improve on it. And we've been fortunate to do that in some ways. And every day is a challenge. We're going to keep trying to do it as, as long as we possibly can. And, uh, you know, hope that it continues to go well. Bill, thank you so much for the time. Thanks a lot, Tim. Good to be with you. Thank you. So there it is, my conversation with Cardinal Chairman Bill DeWitt here on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. When I uh, think back on the interview, uh, and you are just fresh off of hearing it, uh, two things stood out to me that I go into the off season and think they are tells. Now, some people heard the Machado-Harper answer and said, no, they're not getting Machado or Harper. I'm not as sure on that. You know, initially I was kind of thinking that way, but then, I, you know, I think about it and I'm like, if they are, he's not going to say, yes, we are all in on them and then set the bar there and then get in a spot where if they don't get them, because it's not like it's under their control to do so, uh, if Harper does not want to come here, like Stanton didn't want to come here, that then you have the fans upset. So I get that. Uh, at the same time, he was also forthright with the statement that you don't want to get in a spot where you're paying one contract and then you can't run the rest of the team. And that's the con- that's the comment, along with we've been underbidders a number of times, that I know upset some people. And I would imagine you heard that as a listener and go, ugh, I don't like to hear that. But that also shows you the second thing that I was going to point out, and will now do so, that the criticism of being cheap just does not bother him. But I don't think it bothers him because he's like, yeah, I'm cheap and I, am, I don't care. I think it doesn't bother him because he just doesn't, th- he knows it's not true. So now again, if you listen to the beginning of the interview uh, and my my pretext on this, the intro before we played the interview, I said, I come from the thought process that the Cardinals are not cheap. Now, you might disagree. And that's fine. I'm not saying that you are, you know, just wildly off base on it. I personally don't think the facts line up with the fa- that the idea that they are. But if you do, God bless, you know, can agree to disagree on it. I'm of the opinion that they would 
and they have tried, but because they haven't recently, uh, that it makes fans say they won't. But I don't believe that's the case. So I'm anxious to see if they... I don't think that they're going to be aggressive with Machado because I think they are aware that Machado isn't coming here. I'm reading between the lines on this stuff, by the way, on Machado. It's like anybody's pulled me aside and told me this. Uh, I feel like people in the know have said this. Uh, Derek Gould, for example, has said it on this very podcast that the impression is that Machado just wouldn't come here. Um, and this time last year, Derek Gould was saying the Cardinals want Christian Yelich, and that's who they hope they can get. So, you know, and now you can say, well, I didn't get Christian Yelich, and I'm telling you, well, they were hoping to get Christian Yelich, but he wasn't made available until after the Marlins decided that they were finally going to just unload him as well because it was going to be Stanton and Ozuna. So uh, that is so. My point is, Derek has been in the know on on these topics, and uh, and it's and also the cat has said they're just not sure that they would get Machado to St. Louis. Harper, however, kind of surprisingly to me, get the sense they at least think that there's a chance, and that's why I'd be curious to see if they actually do go after him. And, and as I said in the questions from the audience deep dive, I think the fact that the Cubs, number one, had a disappointing year in the fact that they didn't even get to the NLDS, and number two, the reason they didn't get to the NLDS is because of their offense might be primed to go all in to reunite the Las Vegas natives of Bryant and Harper in Chicago. And that really concerns me. It almost would have been better if the Cubs would have had a deep run to potentially quell that. Um, so I wonder about that. That's just, and again, these these aren't these aren't facts. Like somebody like Theo Epstein texted me and go, "Well, we lost to the Brewers, so you know we didn't win the division. Then we lost to the Rockies, so we didn't get in the NLDS. So now we're all in on Harper. That's not how it played out." I'm just reading between lines and things that I think could could play. So I'm anxious to see if the Cardinals are in on Harper, uh, but. Regarding Bill DeWitt and the cheap stuff, it just it just doesn't. I mean, it didn't even phase him. Um, and now it depends on depends on your perspective. You might go, well, it didn't phase him because he doesn't care. And I'm saying it doesn't phase him because he just knows that that's just not accurate. But you know, again, you heard his words. You form your own opinion. I'm giving you mine here in the postscript. As always, without our sponsors, we don't have a show. It's the bottom line. Ryan Kelly of thehomeloanexpert.com, our studio sponsors. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, our guest sponsor. Uh, James Carlton of State Farm Insurance. Tom Schmidt and Salt and Smoke online at saltandsmokestl.com for all of your catering needs. And Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at landoff.com at uh, Highway 270 and the Washington Elizabeth and Seth Goldcamp of Design Air Heating and Cooling. They make the podcast possible. We're incredibly grateful for their support. If you'd like to be on the podcast, we'd love to have you. We would love to have you. Uh, so email me at teamrecurrentinsidestl.com if you want to sponsor the podcast uh, and or if you have any questions or feedback on the interview, please feel free to email me. Hey, you might disagree. You might really disagree. We might wind up having a wonderful discussion about it. Teamrecurrentinsidestl.com. As always, thank you to the listeners for listening. Thank you to the sponsors for sponsoring. Thank you to the producers for producing. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studio.